Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the worship service this afternoon. Special welcome to any guests and visitors who join with us, and also to those who are on the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. May God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. On, the, on Thursday, the 18th of May, we will commemorate the ascension of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. We, there will be, the Lord willing, a worship service commencing at 7.30pm. The vessel and Alette Osthausen with their baptised children, Hannah and Ilya, have requested membership of the Free Reformed Church of Southern River. The Oosthosens have previously been members of the Reformed Church in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. If no lawful objections are raised by for the 4th of June, they will be considered members from that date. This afternoon, the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we commence the worship service, let's sing together from hymn 3, the verses 1, 2 and 3.
Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. We begin the service with the confession that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's now sing a song of praise to our God. Let's sing together from Psalm 62, the verses 1 and 3. Now make a profession of our faith, and let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in hymn one. Oh 
Let's now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Dear Father in heaven, once again this afternoon as we draw near to your throne of grace, we'd like to call to mind the amazing gifts that you've given us in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are our Father, and that we may be your children. Thank you that you have adopted us into your family. Thank you, Lord, that you've sent your Son into this world to redeem us from all our sins. Christ has paid the price for us, and he's restored us in a relationship with you, and we get to share in that through faith in Christ. Thank you, Father, for the incredible gift of your Holy Spirit, that you give us your Spirit so that we may believe the word, that we may share in the riches of Jesus Christ, your Son. Thank you also for the glorious hope of a future that stands before us, that you promise us that there's more to, the, to life than what we see with the eye. There's more to this world than just what we can feel and what we can touch and what we can handle. But rather, Lord, there is an eternal life that is in store for us. There's an eternal joy in your presence. Thank you that you give us the hope of the gospel. And thank you that we can live our lives leaning towards that future and living in anticipation of what's coming. Father, we are the richest people in the world. And we thank you that you give us faith through which we may share in these great blessings. This afternoon, we're going to open your word, Lord. We're going to consider the, the unique place that faith has in our relationship with you, how you call us to believe in you, and how you, you promise us that all the blessings in Christ are available to us through this faith in, in him. We pray then, Lord, for a blessing over the preaching. We ask that you open our hearts with your spirit, that we may understand and appreciate what you've done for us in your son. And we pray that we may, may value that, and that we may grow in, in a relationship with him. Please keep sin and evil far from us, and please forgive us for all the sins we've committed. Thank you, Lord, that you're willing to listen to us. And thank you for... For all your blessings, in Christ's name we pray, amen. So brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach God's word to you. I'm going to talk about the importance of faith. Um, is everyone going to be saved? And the answer is no, only those who by a true faith are grafted into Christ. And so in connection with that, I thought it's appropriate to read together the first verses of John 15. I invite you to open your Bible. We're going to read together John 15, the verses 1 to 11. You can find that on page 1071 of your guest Bible. In John 15, starting at verse 1, there God's word says, this is Lord Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So far the reading of God's word, let's now sing together from Psalm 91, the verses 1 and 5. This afternoon, I may preach God's word to you concerning the necessity of faith. We're going to look at that as the church has summarized and confessed that in Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 523 of your book of praise. In Lord's Day 7, the question asks, are all men then saved by Christ just as they perish through Adam? No, only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. What is true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. 
At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted the forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit works in my heart by the gospel. What then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary. What are these articles? Then follow the, the articles of the Apostles' Creed as we have just sung them. Brothers and sisters, after the preaching of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 41, the verses 1, 2, and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior has told us that he's coming back soon. Those are the last words that that our Lord Jesus Christ said to us in the scriptures. Behold, I am coming soon. And when you hear that, there's, there's a temporal aspect to that word. Soon means it's going to happen really, really quickly. It's not a long time. Christ is coming back. And it's true. It could be this week. It could be next week. Maybe next month. It could be 10 years. It could be 20 years, it could be 100 years, it could be 1,000 years from now. But there's another nuance to the, word, to the Greek word for soon that we don't always have a sense of in the English language. The word soon in Greek, tachus, it also means that it's going to happen without delay. Jesus Christ is coming back without delay. He's coming back as quickly as he possibly can. Now there is time. He tells us 2 Peter 3, he gives us time, he's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so he's hard at work today, gathering in his children, gathering in his church. And as soon as that happens, as quickly as he's finished his work and gathering in his people, then he's going to return on the clouds of heaven and he's going to take his people to be with him. And the question is, are you in? Is he going to take you along with him into the new world? He's going to judge your life, brothers and sisters. Everything you've ever done, ever thought, ever wanted. He's going to take a look into your motives, your desires, your will, and he'll pass judgment on it. Some people will be saved, but many will perish. What's the standard? When Christ passes judgment on your life, is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master? Or is he going to say, get away from me? Cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, there's a standard by which he judges, brothers and sisters. There's only one way for him to say, well done. That way is through faith in Christ. 
The only people whom Christ is going to welcome into his eternal kingdom are the people who have believed in him. It's in one of the most well-known passages in the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ. He spells it out for us. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so what it means, brothers and sisters, is it means it's not enough to be born into a Christian family. It's not enough to be baptized and to be included into the covenant. It's not enough to go to a Christian school. It's not enough to come to church on Sundays and put some money into the collection bag. You must believe in Jesus Christ. You must personally have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, where you confess your sins to him, and where you trust him, that he's the one who's going to do for you what you failed to do for yourself. It's only those who have this faith who will be saved. It raises the question, why is faith so important? What is it about faith? What does it actually mean? What does it look like to have faith? Well, that's the, the questions we're going to consider. The theme is, only those who believe in Christ will be saved. And the two questions are, why do we need to believe, and what do we need to believe? So why is faith so important? You know, it's really interesting. If you, if you think about this a little more broadly, then you realize that as Protestants, we're in a bit of a unique place here. If you were to have a conversation with a Roman Catholic, and if you were to ask them who's going to be saved, then I anticipate they'll probably say a few things to you. They'd probably say to you in the first place, it's, it's only those who go to church. You need to go to church. You need to have the church administer the sacraments to you, the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper. You need to share in the administration of the sacraments through the church in order to be saved. Well, it's a little different if you talk to a Pentecostal friend. If you have somebody who's a Pentecostal who's a friend, you ask him who's going to be saved, and they're going to say to you, it's only those who have been baptized by the Spirit. You need to be baptized by the Spirit. You need to have the gifts of the Spirit within you. And if you have the gifts of the Spirit, you know, maybe speaking in tongues or gifts of healing or gifts of prophecy or some other gift, then you can be sure that you're a Christian and that you're going to be saved. What's well, a little different with the Anabaptists. If you, you talk to an Anabaptist, you see it really quite radically in the lives of, of some of the more radical Anabaptists. You talk to the, to the Hutterites or to the Amish. But one of the foundational things that the Anabaptists say is that they say you need to separate from the world. Who's going to be saved? It's those people who kept themselves separate from the world. And so they live in communes. They live separate from the rest of, of this world. You talk to some other Anabaptists or Baptists, they won't say that you have to be separate from the world, but they will say, listen, you can't serve in government, you can't serve in the military, and you need to keep away from worldly things. And so they'll say to you, no drinking at all, no alcohol at all, no smoking. They'll say to you, no swearing. You know, you, you can't participate in those things of the world. If you do those things, you know, that, that indicates that you haven't separated yourself from the world. Or if you, if you talk to others, they won't, they won't emphasize any of those things, but they will emphasize the social gospel. So maybe if you have a friend from, from the Salvation Army, 
And he'll say to you, well, what's most important is living a life of service to Jesus Christ by serving the people around you. If you're a true Christian, then you serve the poor and you help the needy. And it comes out in a life of of service to them. And then the Protestants come along. And they say, no, no, no. What's most important is faith in Jesus Christ. The core issue is believing in Christ as your Savior. Was it legit? Is that actually the truth? It is true that you need to go to the true church. And it is true that you need the sacraments. And it is true that you need the Spirit. And it's also true that you need to live a life of service. And it's also true that you need to withdraw from this world and forsake the world. But all those things, they come out of something more foundational. They flow out of faith in Jesus Christ. It's when you have a living faith in Jesus Christ, then the rest of those things fall into place. Lord's Day 7, the first question, it it addresses this matter, and it's, it's very clear about the priority of faith. Are all men then saved in Christ just as they perish through Adam? No, only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and receive all his benefits. And that's... That's the understanding of scripture, brothers and sisters. I just mentioned the passage from John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, that's the core. You must believe in Jesus Christ in order to be saved and not to perish. And the Lord Jesus, in that passage, a few verses later, he kind of spells it out and he talks about the the two contrasting directions in which you go. It's in John 3, verse 18. He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You believe in him, you're not condemned. You don't believe in him, you're condemned already because you haven't believed in him. And because that's the standard. The core question is faith in Christ. And this is a matter that John, he gets back to over and over again throughout the whole of his his book. In John 5, he talks about it. He tells the Jews, you know, he says, you think that you're saved because you have the scriptures and because you study the scriptures. But he says, the scriptures testifies to me. It's all about me. And you're not saved because you don't believe in me. In John 6, he has the same message. He, he says, you need to, to eat my flesh and drink my blood in order to be saved. I am the bread of, of life. I'm the bread from heaven. You have to take me into you in order to be saved. And then he spells it out for them. You must believe. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And he says to them, he says, you don't, you don't share. You don't believe, you don't share. John 6, verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You keep reading through the book of John, brothers and sisters, And the whole book emphasizes the importance of faith in Christ. John summarizes it right near the end of his book. It's in John 20, verse 31. Verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's by believing that you have life in the name of Jesus. The question is not, are you baptized? It's not even, are you a member of the covenant? It's not even, do you go to church every Sunday? The question is, do you believe? Do you have a living relationship of faith with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? What does it mean? What does it, it actually look like to believe? God tells us that to believe in him means that you, you trust him as your savior. You believe the promises that God has extended to you in him. You believe that God says that he's the only one who can rescue you from your sins. And he's the only one who can set you in a right relationship together with him. Now, in, in normal life, brothers and sisters, for us to trust someone, for us to accept their word, for us to, to believe them, they have to show themselves to be trustworthy. Now, sometimes I have it as a pastor, I get a, I get a bonus. I am the pastor, and because of my title, people, you know, if you do a trust scale, zero is no trust and 10 is full trust, well, maybe I'll start off at a two or a three or maybe even a four. Somebody comes to me and you're the pastor and so I can trust you. And they can tell me sometimes some very deep and personal things about their lives. But usually what we do in relationship is, is it takes time to build trust. We meet someone and we kind of have to find our way with them. Are they trustworthy? Do they keep their word? Will they keep in confidence the things that I tell them in confidence? Are they someone who, who I... I know will do what they said that they will do. And the more interaction you have with a person, and the more time you spend with them, and the more you get to know them, the more you can see whether or not you can trust them. And many times you can have great trust. It's the more time you spend, the more you understand who the person really is, and you can really open your heart to that person, you can trust them deeply. Well, on one level, it's, it's really quite similar with Christ, brothers and sisters. The only way you trust him is if you know him. You need to spend time with him. You need to see if he's trustworthy. That's actually what we confess. The second question there, it asks, well, what's true faith? If you need to believe, if you need to have this faith, what is that? What, what do you need? And the answer is, true faith is in the first place a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in the scriptures. It's a sure knowledge of what God has revealed. For you to trust Christ, you need to know him. For you to trust God, you need to know what he's done. You need to know who he is. You need to know how he's acted. You need to know whether or not he keeps his promises. And so the Lord reveals himself to us in his word. He tells us all about who he is and about all the stories of the things that he's done during the course of history because he wants us to trust him. He wants us to really get to know him. Who is he really and what does he really do and what can you expect of him? Well, the more you read the scriptures, the more you can understand who he is and the more you can grow in trust before him. Well, that's... That's really good. It's only the first part. The danger, of course, 
with that part of it is that it's all an intellectual thing. Sometimes for us, when we, we seek to grow in faith, then we put a lot of emphasis on this knowing. We want to know. And so we do Bible study together and we drill down into the text because we want to know. We spend a lot of time trying to understand and, and really knowing the scriptures and knowing it really deeply and really well. And that's, that's really beautiful. The more you know, the more you can trust. But the problem is, is if, if you leave it at knowing, if it's only an intellectual thing, then you don't have faith yet. Because once you know, then you need to act on that knowledge. And that's the second thing that our confession talks about. It says that it's also a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted the forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. So it's a firm confidence that the promises of God are true for me. I believe these things, and I know it to be true, and I build my life on it, because I count on God to be true to his word. And so that's, that's really the core question. First, you need to know. Then when you know, the question is, do you work with that knowledge? And do you actually build your life on the promises that God's extended to you? You know, it's really beautiful. Sometimes you, you read these stories in the scriptures of people who did that. God gave certain promises, and they said, yes, I, I trust it. I believe it. I know it to be true, and I'm going to build my life on that. One of the most beautiful examples is, is the, uh, the book of Hebrews there. You have all these people who had faith in God because they trusted that God's promises were real, and they acted on that. And sometimes they did amazing things, like <laughs> just extraordinary God says to Noah, he says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. Well, he's on a plane. There ain't no water around. <laughs> the ocean was a long ways away. And he starts building this boat. And he builds and he builds and he builds this boat. A hundred years. Well, that's huge faith, brothers and sisters. He believed the promise. And he acted on it. He did what God said. If Abraham, God comes to Abraham, and God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave your family. I want you to go to a country. I'll show you where it is, and I'll show you where you need to go, but I want you to leave. And Abraham says, yes, Lord. So he packs up him and his household, and he, he carries off, and he didn't even actually know where he was going when he first left. Well, can you imagine doing that? Sell your business, sell your house, pack your car, and start driving. On the basis of a call, God says, I want you to do this. You say, yes, Lord. That's a huge amount to trust. You think of Moses. God says, Moses, you got no future in Egypt. These people are destined for destruction. And your destiny is with the Israelites. And so Moses says, yes, Lord. And so he denies himself the luxuries of Egypt. He's, he's born into the palace. He could have literally anything he wanted of all of Egypt. And he says, no. He says, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. Because my identity is with these people. Because theirs is the future. And so he chose to be identified with the people of God. And to suffer abuse. Because he believed 
that they had an eternal future. You think of the Israelites. They get to, to Canaan. They come to the major city. When you come, there's a major trade route that goes on the, west side, sorry, on the east side of Jericho. And at some point, that trade route, it cuts in across the Jordan, and then it goes into Jericho. So it goes on the east side of Israel, and it cuts in and comes into the, the first city that they come into is the city of Jericho. They had these huge walls all around the city. God said to the people, he said, now your job is, is to walk around once on a Monday. You walk around and you walk around once every day. And the last day God says, now I just want you to walk around seven times. I want you to, to smash your thing and then get ready to race in. People said, yes, Lord. You want me to do it and I'll go do it. And they did. And they walked around seven times and the walls came crashing down. Because they trusted the promise of God. Well, that's, that's the calling of Scripture, brothers and sisters. The Lord extends promises to you. And he says, now I want you to build your life on those promises. And now at core, the promises he extends to you are promises in Christ. He says, Christ is your Savior. He's the one who's died, and he's the one who rose again. And I want you to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I want you to, to follow him in whatever he calls you to do. And so to have faith means that you do that, that you follow Christ. The Lord Jesus, he, he used that image in John 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So you have to abide in me. You have to be grafted into me. That's the imagery of the catechism. You need to be grafted in. You have to live by depending on me by trusting my promises, by drawing on my strength. And if you do that, then Christ says, my blessing and my power is going to be manifest in your life. Well, in the first place, if you, if you think of our confession, it talks about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to this world. And one of the first things that he emphasized, well, he, he came in as a human being he suffered, and he died. And then his calling is, I want you to share in that. I want you to share in my humility. And so the question is, do you believe in Jesus? Are you willing to abide in him? Are you willing to, to be humble like him? puts his towel around his waist, washes his disciples' feet, dries them off. As I have done, now I call you to do. In the words of Philippians 2, do nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who did not account equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and came in the form of a servant. So are you willing to be humble, brothers and sisters? Humble with your brother, who's really a pain? You don't always like him very much? Or to serve your wife or your children when you get home from work and you feel like having a bit of me time? 
Will you follow your Savior? If you believe in Jesus Christ, it means that you share in his death and resurrection. Do you share in Christ's death? Sometimes it means literally that you, you die like him. Apostle James, he's arrested together with Peter. Peter gets out and he's free. But James is beheaded by Herod and he loses his life. There's a bunch of others who lose their life for the sake of the gospel. In Revelation 13, Christ tells us, he says that for the sake of Christ, many will lose their lives. And that this calls for patient endurance on behalf of the saints. It's not normal for most of us. There are times in history where more Christians died. In our time in history, in our culture, in our context, that's not what happens. Not easy, not often. There's another connotation. If you die with Christ, the scripture says, then you die to sin. Then sin no longer has power in your life, but you put it to death. That's the language of Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. He says that those who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And then Paul explains that. He says, just as Christ died, so we die. Not physically, but we die to sin. Our old nature is crucified and put to death. And it no longer reigns over us. He says, you're no longer enslaved to sin if you believe in Jesus Christ. And so Romans 6 verse 11, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you put sin to death. Then sin doesn't have power over you. It doesn't rule in your heart. It doesn't rule in your life. That's a beautiful gift of your Savior, brothers and sisters. You abide in him and his power abides in you. And he changes you and he makes you into a new person. If you, maybe if you want to open with me the, the passage you read together from John 15. Christ talks about that just in, in the last verses we read together there about the power that he gives to his people and how that transforms their lives. John 15, after telling us to abide in him and abide in his love, you read that at the end of verse 9 there, then in verse 10... First he calls us, abide in my love. And then John 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He says, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Just as I kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. And then Christ says, it's the most amazing thing. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. I'm going to have joy in you. Because I know that you're going to abide in my love. You're going to abide in me. You're going to believe in me. You're going to expect your help from me. And as you believe in me, as you expect your help from me, I'm going to strengthen you. And you're going to, you're going to do 
what God commands. You're going to obey the commandments. You're not going to keep being stuck in sin. You're not going to live a life that's always mired in sin, that sin has, has power over you to enslave you. But I'm going to set you free from that. And I'm going to give you this glorious life. And as you live that life, you're going to have great joy, and my joy is going to be in you. Well, this is the gift that God gives you through his death and resurrection. He died. And through him, you died to sin. He was raised to life, and through him, you were raised to a new life, brothers and sisters. On Thursday, we get to celebrate Ascension Day. Well, through faith in Christ, you also get to share in his ascension. Christ completed the work that the Father gave him to do. He suffered, he died, he rose again. Forty days later, he ascended into heaven. And when Christ went up into heaven, it was the greatest day in the history of salvation. The angels had a party. They celebrated. The Ancient of Days led Jesus Christ into the throne room, sat him down at the throne at his right hand, and he was given all authority and power and dominion and honor and glory and the kingdom. And everybody was bowing down and singing praises and glorifying him and worshiping him for who he is and for what he has done. Why did he get there? Because he had victory over sin. He defeated the devil. He ascended into heaven as a glorious king who rules over all things and who's given all power and all authority. And now he says to us, his people, he says, I'm willing to let you share in my victory. You also are kings. And you fight against sin. And you rule over sin. It doesn't rule over you, but through faith in me, you resist sin, you resist the devil, and he flees from you. And so what God's saying here, brothers and sisters, is that it's as we believe in him that he sets us free. He rescues us from pride and selfishness, from grumbling and complaining, from anger and pornography, from smoking or drinking too much, from covetousness and discontent, from self-righteousness and sitting in judgment on others. There's a glorious life. There's a, a life of freedom that God gives to his people through faith in Christ. Well, the last thing that Christ gives to us, brothers and sisters, is a promise to share in his future glory. He promised us that, that those who believe in him receive eternal life. And eternal life, if you, if you think about that, it's, it's not just life forever. It's not just this life that goes on and on and on and on and never ends. The word that's used in the, the Greek Bible here, again, it has a, a connotation that, that doesn't really come across in English. And it's really important, it's really beautiful actually, because if you think of eternal life as life that goes on forever, could you imagine if you were to live forever in this world? Sometimes I've thought about that. I tried to imagine living in the days before Noah. Now, these people, they lived for, for five centuries, or for seven centuries, or for nine centuries, 900 years. Well, sometimes I get really tired of sin. 
You see all the brokenness and all the, the distress and all the terrible consequences that sin brings into this world. That can be very wearying. If you imagine if you had to do that for, for 800 years, imagine how, how wearying that would be. But the word for eternal life, it has another, con- another connotation. The word for eternal life can also be translated as life of the age. There is another age coming. And that age is of a different character than this age. It is the age of the reign and the glory of God. An age where sin is done away with. And an age where we get to to live in the glorious presence of God in heaven. Well, in that world, we get to enjoy the blessing of God in full measure. There's no more sin. There's no more suffering. There's no more pain, the scripture tells us. There's no more hatred, no more violence, no more fear, and no more death. You get to live with God. You get to be in his presence. The fullness of joy, the fullness of life comes from him. He loves to bless his people richly so that there's health and there's blessing and there's life and there's communion and there's fellowship and there's love and there's unity. That is the life of the age. And that's the gift of Christ for all who believe in him. And so the calling of scripture, brothers and sisters, is that God says, he says, I have incredible blessings for you. It's not in the first place the kind of blessings that that God promised to Abraham or that he promised to to Moses or that he promised to Noah. But the blessings that he extends to us in the first place are the blessings that come to us in Christ. Blessings of, of a new life, of love for God, love for the people around you. Blessings of a life of humility and service. A life of peace and joy. A life of hope for the future. Life contentment today. Well, it's all yours, brothers and sisters, through faith in Christ. You must believe. And that's why it's so important that we, we use the means that God gives us. In the last part of Lord's Day 7, it ends off with a one-liner. It says, this faith, the Holy Spirit works through the gospel. Now the, the question I started with, brothers and sisters, is one day God's going to come in judgment. And will you share or will you perish? The sad reality is that not everyone gets to share. I have that conversation with my catechism students, especially my pre-confession students, and I reflect with them that you know it happens usually once, twice, three times a year. We have a young person who leaves the church. Occasionally, we have we have old people, older people, who also leave the church, and not just that they they leave the church, but they they don't have faith in Christ. They don't believe in Him. They don't have a relationship with Him. Well, how does that come to be? It's a life. You live a life where you believe in the Lord Jesus, where you seek his face, where you humble yourself before him, 
You live a life where you use the means of grace. You use the scriptures and you treasure the sacraments. They're ways in which God wants to speak to your soul. He wants to reach into your life and to confirm to you that Christ has forgiven you and that he does love you and that there's nothing between you and God. And so he calls you to listen to the preaching. And he calls you to read the word and to meditate on it. And the really sad thing is, is that for those people who don't believe, then it's not immediately evident. It doesn't come out right away. Usually it's time. They kind of become apathetic. They kind of drift a little bit. And over time, they, their passions are centered around other things. And the word of God and the, the promises of the Lord Jesus, they kind of fade in importance in their lives. But they'll drift along in church for a period of time until something happens. Maybe they get in conflict with another person in the church. Or maybe there's distress. They have a struggle with the leadership in the church. Or maybe they, they have a personal difficulty within their own life. And at some stage they leave. And then it's quite striking. You watch the lives of some people who leave and sometimes their rejection of Christ just goes really quick. And you kind of wonder, well, well, how did that happen? And oftentimes it's because there wasn't a living faith in Christ for quite a long time. It's a real danger that we're apathetic, that we don't live in intimate communion with our Lord Jesus. And so the foundational calling of Scripture, brothers and sisters, is that you treasure the Word, that you see Christ, that you believe in him, that on a daily basis you rely upon him, that you ask him for his help, that you beat a path to the cross. So time after time after time, you confess your sins and you trust him to forgive you. You trust him to make you into a new person. And you experience that in your life. And you surround yourself with godly people and they will assist you. They will help you to walk in faith before God. And you open your heart to your office bearers and you speak the truth to them about what's really going on in their, your life. And you let them speak the word to you. And you take those words to heart and you allow yourself to be changed by that, to believe it, and to, to take the gospel into you. And you do it, brothers and sisters, you make a pattern of it, you make it a habit of it, and the Lord, he blesses that. And you see it happen. There are so many people who have a living faith in Christ. They know Christ, and they're secure in him, and they love him. And they live this life where they, they build their life on the promises. They ask him for his help, and they rely upon him to live in them and to make them into new people. And it happens. They become these new people, and they're thriving. And there's this, this vitality and this zest. There's this joy. There's this hope. There's this confidence that's within them. And it's not them. It's not who they are, but it's Christ. It's his spirit who's living in them, who changes and who makes them into new people. We think about that, it's, it's just really humbling. We need a savior. We need him to do it for us. And so let's look to him in faith. Let's ask him for his help. And let's use the means that he's entrusted to us. It is his great joy, brothers and sisters, to bring you into the kingdom. That's what he says. He says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. He says, then you will walk in my commandments. And he says, my joy is in you. I have joy in you. 
that your joy will be full. Amen. Let's sing together hymn 41, verses 1, 2, and 3. upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. Our prayer this afternoon will also remember some of the, the people in the, uh, the former sister churches that we've had in the Netherlands. It's been a really major development that happened in the Netherlands. It was a couple of weeks ago that our churches with whom we used to have a sister church relationship, they joined together with some churches that split off of them back in the 1960s. They're called the Barton Verbant in Dutch. Sorry. And they, um, so they joined together just two weeks ago. Um, a bit of the sad thing is that the Barton Verbant, they, they are of the perspective that you don't need to adhere to the confessions. And so it's up to you as to whether or not you're going to subscribe to the confessions. And that will be up to each church in this new federation of churches to decide as to what they'll have to do. And so we'll also pray for the, the people in Holland, pray that they may walk in faith before God and that God would help them to 
to walk according to his ways and to uphold his word. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that it is through faith that we may share in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you give us the gospel. And thank you, Lord, that through the gospel that we may grow in faith in our Savior. You've shown us in your word, Lord, that you're trustworthy. You're faithful to your promises. Your love is abiding. Your, your dealings with us are consistent. And Father, it's on the basis of, of these promises that we can build a beautiful life. Thank you that you call us to trust in, trust in Christ as our Savior. Thank you that Christ has done for us what we have failed to do, Lord. He's the one who's paid for our sins. He's the one who's defeated the devil. He's the one who's overcome death. And he's the one who's ascended into heaven at your right hand. And we believe that he is the authority and he is the power. He is the glory and he is the honor. And that he's willing to look to all those who look to him, to help all those who look to him in faith. And so, Lord, we come to you this afternoon as those who look to Christ as our Savior. We don't have what it takes, Lord. We can't save ourselves. We don't have the strength or the ability. It is our nature to resist you. It's our nature to be apathetic towards you. It is our nature to wander away from you and to set our hearts on other things. It's our nature to reject you. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us great faith in you. We ask, Lord, that you be with those members of our congregation who have doubts in their faith, those who are cool towards you and who are wandering away from you. Father, you, you baptized them. You included them into your family. You extended promises to them. We pray that for the sake of your name, for the sake of your son, that you draw them back to you, and that you, you save them from themselves and from their sin. Father, you have that power, and that is your joy, and so we ask that you would work it out. At the same time, Lord, we, we understand that we also have responsibility. You call us to use your word, to take it to heart. You call us to abide in Christ, to be grafted into him, and to draw strength from him. You call us, Father, to, to know the promises that you've extended to us and to build our life on those promises. We pray then, Lord, that you would grant that all of us, and especially those who are struggling in faith, that we may think about what you have promised, that we would read your word diligently, that we would memorize it, that we would take it to heart, and that we build our life on it. Lord, thank you that your word is so powerful. And thank you that your spirit has the power to change us. And we pray that through your word and spirit then, that we may walk closely with you. Father, thank you for all the faith that we may experience within our church. There are so many people with whom the Spirit of Christ is powerfully at work. And there is so much faith. There's so much encouragement. We thank you and we honor you for that. We pray, Lord, that as you work in us, that we may help each other and that we assist each other to, to trust in you and to share in the kingdom. Dear Father in heaven, we also pray that you would be with so many people in our community who walk in darkness. It's in our extended families, it's in our neighborhoods, it's in our work environments. We meet a lot of people, and many of these people, they have no knowledge of you. And their, sin, their life is often dominated by sin. It's a really powerful force, and, and it's really destructive for them. We pray, Lord, that you would grant that as we have opportunity, that we may speak of the hope that is within us. Grant, Father, that by our lives, that we may be examples to them, that they may seek to imitate us as well, that they may be drawn to you, and that with your spirit, you would save them out of their darkness. Lord, thank you that this is your joy. 
We know that you're powerfully at work to bring all your people to yourself so that Christ can return on the clouds of heaven. Grant, Lord, that none of us perish, but that all of us may believe in you and so share in your eternal glory. Your Father in heaven, we also want to pray that you take care of, of others around us, not just here in Australia. We were just speaking a moment ago about those in the Netherlands. Many of us as family members and friends who are living in some of these churches that have been mentioned. Lord, we, we want to entrust your people to your throne of grace. We want to ask, Lord, that there may be faithfulness to your word, that there may be a desire to, to confess you as you reveal yourself in your word and a desire to, to have fellowship with others who hold that same confession. Dear Father, we're, we're saddened to hear the news that, that some have joined together and that it's up to each local congregation to, to make a decision as to whether or not they, they wish to uphold the confessions. Father, we, we've been so blessed by the, the church that has gone before us. We're so blessed by the forefathers. They've struggled with various aspects of doctrine, the teaching about who you are and about who Christ is, the teaching about the Holy Spirit and, and whether or not he's true God, the teachings about the Trinity, how you, how you function together in a loving relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the teachings about the doctrine of salvation, teachings about many other aspects of, of the Christian life, of your word. Father, we, we pray that we would gain benefit from these confessions, that we learn to understand the, the truth of your word, and that we also listen to those who have gone before us as they have struggled with these things and come to, to understand, confess your truth. Lord, at the same time, we, we pray that we never elevate anything above your word, your word is, is truth, and it is the source of life. And so we pray that, that while gaining benefit, that we, that we don't base our salvation, like the Jews did, on, on our knowledge, our knowledge even of the word, but rather let us base our salvation only on Christ and knowing him and being in him. Dear Father in heaven, we also want to pray for a blessing over the promotion of the gospel in P&G. This morning and also this afternoon, we get to, to have a collection for them, and we want to entrust the, the mission workers and the missionaries to your throne of grace. I want to ask, Father, for our missionaries, that you would please protect them from physical diseases. Some of them have come down with dengue fever, with malaria. We're grateful for the, for the treatments that they can receive, and at the same time, we pray for full recovery, and we want to ask, Father, that you grant further protection. We pray, Lord, that you keep them safe from spiritual attack from physical ailments, and also from, from physical attacks. Please put a hedge around them, and please grant that you would keep them safe and close to you, and grant them the, the space and the freedom to be able to do their work, to proclaim the gospel, and to, to gather your church. Please grant your blessing over the work that they do as well, Lord. Grant that as your word goes out, that many people may believe in you and share in your kingdom. Thank you for the privilege of being able to support them in this work, and we pray, Lord, for your blessing upon it. We also want to ask you, Lord, that you please take care of us in, in the rest of our day. Bless our fellowship that we have together as a congregation. Grant that we may love each other from the heart, that we're able to show that to each other. Please also bless the, the leadership of our church. Please be with the elders and deacons. Grant wisdom to them, Lord. Grant that we may do our task faithfully and joyfully before you. Please give us a rich measure of your spirit, that we can do it in a way that honors you and that serves the well-being of your people. Thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you in this way. We also pray, Father, that you would bless us in our jobs, that we can be faithful in that, bless us in our families, 
Bless us, Lord, as, as single members as well. Please bless the mothers among us and, and bless those who, who long to be mothers. Thank you that, that you have oversight of our lives, that you love us and that you'll care for us. We pray, Lord, that you lead us in such a way that we may experience your blessing. Hear us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, you have the opportunity to serve the Lord with your thank offerings. Like we just prayed a minute ago, the, the collection is again for the work of Mission and P&G. And after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymns 28, verses 1, 5, and 6.
receive God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.